up on our minds. We come in here with heavy hearts. We come in with worry. We come in here brokenhearted, God. But some of us come in with so much joy, we don't even know what to do, and we can't even focus because we're so joyful right now. And some of us have things that we're celebrating, and all of that, we know you're with us to the end of the age. And we pray now the prayer your son taught us to pray when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You came back. This is the first time I'll preach the third sermon of the fourth time on a Sunday here. So, not funny. That didn't work, Stuart. You do it better than I did. Hey, he came back. So, um, I was in Abilene, Texas all week. I was, I was in Abilene, Texas all week. And it was all week of Abilene, Texas. It was hot. It was humid. We moved things, we packed things, we tried to cram things onto the truck in the space that we paid for and ended up spilling out into the space we didn't pay for. Um, But our house is empty, the papers are signed, and we are now here. We've got a house under contract here in Las Cruces, like this is it. So, um, But the whole time that, that I was in Abilene, I was thinking of this time, us, and this place. Um, because this is a good church. I don't know if you know that. This is a good, good church. I, I have colleagues all over the place who um, are jealous of, of me, and they should be. <laughs> because they don't get to be the pastor of this church. And so um, thank you for being the kind of church that you are and for um, making it a place that, that we want to be, that churches, that pastors want to be in. And so... Um, Anyway, thank you for that. I'm going, to be pre- I'm going to read through another passage of Scripture today. It's one that you're really familiar with, probably. If you grew up in church at all, you've heard this story. Uh, even if you didn't grow up in church, you may have heard the really cheesy song about the wee little man that's based on this story. The truth is, we don't know how wee he was. We just know he was above, uh, below average height, maybe. Or maybe he was average height and he was around some tall people. We're, we're not real confident of the height of Zacchaeus. But that's the story that I'm about to read to you. And I promise, in my head, it ties together with the scripture that Rick just read. It may not in yours, but that's okay because you're not preaching this morning. And so um, I'll do my best to help you see how they tie together in my head. This comes from Luke chapter 19, and it starts with verse 1. You can read along on the screens. You can read along in the worship guide. Or you can read along um, with your Bible. I would encourage you not to use your phone to read scripture with, at least during church, because what if you get a text message or a fantasy baseball update or something like that that's going to distract you from hearing what God has to say to you through the word. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Pause. 
I'm going to pause a couple of times as I'm reading this because I have some things I want to explain to you that will help you understand the sermon a little better, I think. It's important for Luke to tell us that Zacchaeus was rich and a tax collector because not all tax collectors were as rich as Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was apparently a really good tax collector. And by really good, I mean we wouldn't like him. And here, here's the thing with tax collectors in ancient Palestine. They uh, were Jewish people, and they worked for the Roman government. The Roman Empire was occupying the space where Jesus was living. Not, not Jesus and his friends and family and, and uh, fellow citizens were not happy to have the Roman Empire occupying their place. And this is one of the reasons why. Tax collectors. Tax collectors basically were cheating their own people. And this is how they would do it. So let's pretend Stuart and I are fishermen. We go out fishing. We catch 100 fish. It's 100 fish because I'm not good at math and I have to do some math in this story. Um, We catch 100 fish. We bring our boat in in the morning and we have this 100 fish and we get it out and Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is sitting there ready to tax us. Now, we don't have money to be taxed, but we have fish. And so it was possible. This is, this, is, this is actually fact. There are estimates that Jewish people during Roman occupation were taxed somewhere between 50 and 70% of their income. So for the sake of this story and, and your own sanity, um, I'm going to say we, Stuart and I were taxed 50%. So now we've got 50 tax left, about 50 fish left. Zacchaeus, chief tax collector who's really rich, then can take a few fish for himself and for his family, and he can sell a few of them to make some money, but he's only allowed to take up to a certain portion. A lot of tax collectors would take well over that portion, so it's possible that Stuart and I have 20 fish left after we worked all night long, and we were taxed the rest of it. Makes the taxes we pay seem okay, right? So Zacchaeus was rich. He was a tax collector, and he was not liked, and he knew he was not liked. And because of that, maybe he didn't even like himself. We don't know. But he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass by that way. Uh, Did anybody get to see George W. Bush in Messiah when he was here campaigning? I was down there, and I think, of the, I think of that every time I read this story. I know this feels like a digression, and it is, but um, it, was, it was crazy. That, the plaza at Messiah was packed. It was just packed full of people. And George Bush was standing on the gazebo thing in the middle of the plaza, and there were people sitting in the tree where Michelle and I were standing. And I, I just, every time I read this story, I think of that. What, what's that like to be in a crowd, and you're wanting to see someone, so you climb a tree? That's what Zacchaeus was doing. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble, and he said, He's gone to gr- he's gone and grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there. He, he heard them say that. He stood there and said to the Lord, Look, 
half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay it back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out. The Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. May God grant us wisdom and courage for application. Amen. Theology matters a lot to me. Theology is what it is that we believe about God, what it is that we say about God. It matters. And the reason it matters to me is because, well, it matters to me because orthopraxy matters to me. So there's the idea of orthodoxy, which is right thinking, and there's orthopraxy, which is right living. I am not that concerned with orthodoxy. Like, I want to think in an orthodox way, but I want to live the right way. To me, I am not ultimately concerned about what you believe. I'm concerned about what you hear. Because what you hear affects your theology, and your theology affects the way you live. There's a, I was told that in ancient Judaism, there was no idea, there was no concept of right thinking. There was only the, our arguments around right living. So, and, and that bears out if you read the arguments that Jesus got into, because they never had arguments about what you're supposed to believe and what you're not supposed to believe. They had arguments about how you were supposed to put that belief into practice. Right? Nobody argued about whether the Sabbath was something you were supposed to have in your life. It was how do you practice Sabbath? Because that says something about what you believe. That's interesting. That's important to me. I want to be a person who lives the right way. I have two things to tell you about scripture interpretation and Greek language this morning. I hope it doesn't bore you to death. I'm not going to get into all of the words, but I'm going to tell you something. The passage that Rick read that says, "As uh, um, at, uh, go and make disciples. I just lost it for a second. Go and make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is a passage. Notice it says, go make disciples. In fact, the Greek word that's translated to go is actually as you are going. Jesus was on the go when he looked up and saw Zacchaeus. As you are going, make disciples. But notice it doesn't say as you are going, make converts. As you're going, make disciples. So you're probably thinking, well, what's the difference, Ross? And, and I'm glad you asked, because the difference <laughs> is this. A, a convert is somebody who has converted the way that they think about something. A disciple is somebody who has changed the way that they live. So in ancient, there's this uh, teacher from Texas named Dwight Pryor that I used to listen to a lot and read a lot of things that he wrote. And I heard him say one time that... Um, that the way someone would become a disciple in ancient Judaism was like, or would become a rabbi in ancient Judaism was this. 
and it relates to discipleship. A Jewish kid would go to school and study, and if they were a good student, they would get to continue on in their studies. And they were a good student based on how well they could learn, starting off with the Torah and then the books of the prophets. And if they were one of the better students at the end of their time of study, the rabbis would say, hey, you can continue to study with us. You show some promise. And the rest of the people would go and begin to do the work of their family. So Peter and Peter's brother, the sons of Zebedee, went and became fishermen. They weren't asked to continue on in their studies. And so if you continue on in your studies and you get to the end of it and you're really a good student and you enter into a relationship with a rabbi and you start to ask each other questions and learn from one another and challenge each other some, if the rabbi thought that you could do what the rabbi did, not think what the rabbi thought, but do what the rabbi did, then the rabbi would say to you, come and follow me. So Jesus sees Peter one morning cleaning their nets and says, Hey, Peter, Andrew, you guys, come follow me. Because Jesus knew that they could do what Jesus did. Remember Pete, Jesus walked on water one time? Who did Jesus say, get out of the boat and come walk on the water to? Because he thought Peter could do what, what he was doing. And in fact, at the end of Jesus' time, he said, you will do greater things than even me. They were disciples. It wasn't about right thinking. It was about right living. It was about the doing of things. And so, go make disciples. If you make a disciple, you'll get a convert. But if you make a convert, you won't necessarily make a disciple. There's a difference. Am I making sense? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? It's about our living, not necessarily our thinking. Because our thinking can cause us to miss the forest for the trees. So, Jesus is going. And as he is going, he looks up and he sees. He sees this guy. Who's in a tree, trying to get a glimpse of him. And who knows the whole thing, but here's what we do know. Jesus had disciples. And they're with him. They're following him along. And, and they're trying to stay close to him and learn everything that they can learn from him. And it's men and it's women. And the number gets added to. And there are people following him around. And people trying to crowd in and touch him so that they can be healed. And people trying to get him to come to their house so that he can heal their, their sick people. And he's, he's freeing people from their sin. And he's doing all these things. And Zacchaeus just wants a glimpse. And he's an outsider. And he climbs up in a tree. And he's just looking to see what's going on. And Jesus sees him. Why in the world did Jesus see him? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So he's looking for people. He wants to see who they are, and he's walking along, and he's crowded around, and he's looking into trees. And he sees Zacchaeus, and this is what I want us to hear this morning, the most of anything, Morning Star. He sees Zacchaeus, and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, why don't you come with me and my friends to the place where we're comfortable and so that we can teach you how to think? No, that's not right. He doesn't say that. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry down out of that tree. I need to go to your place. You see the difference? Jesus is saying, let's go 
to your place where you're comfortable and I'm uncomfortable. Where you feel free to ask questions and I can just be uncomfortable there. It's, it's okay. Uh, too often, I think we say to people, hey, you should come with me to my church. Wait, did the preacher just say too often we invite people to church? Yes. Go to where people are first, please. Get to know them. Help them be comfortable. Because here's the thing where our theology matters. Do you think that people will say this about us, Christians? They're just the nicest people. They never judge anybody. They don't say that. Because this is our theology. We believe in a God that judges people. And we believe in a God that is powerful and strong and righteous. And so we have to judge people and be powerful and strong and self-righteous. But that's not who we are. That's not who our God is anyway. Because I wanted to show you this. It's really important. Really important to me. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble. And said, he's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And the sinner heard them say that. I mean, it's bad enough if they had just kept it in themselves, but they said it out loud. I was taught that this is a story where basically Zacchaeus is overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus, repents of his sin, and in the repenting of his sin, Jesus says, hey, guess what? Salvation has come to this house today. Because that's the fair way of doing it, right? That's what we want to have happen. We want for people to see their sin, and man, we want them to feel it also, and we want them to be overwhelmed, and we want them to confess their sin, and we want them to do it the way we want them to do it. Because that's fair. But Jesus is not that concerned about fairness. Jesus is concerned about seeking and saving the lost. Jesus never says anything to Zacchaeus about his sin. In fact, the only time Jesus really talks to people about their sin is when it's a sin of judgment. Zacchaeus never even mentions his own sin. The people who mention his sin are us. The village people. Not the village people. The villagers. We're the ones. That's it. Now the song's stuck in my head. And yours. You're welcome. You're welcome. You'll think of me this afternoon. We're the ones who do that, right? We're the ones who judge. We're the ones who say, like, that person is a sinner. And it affects us. Here, here's the thing. The fact that Jesus doesn't judge affects us. Because if that's our theology, then we're open to be able to go to where people are. And we're able to see who people are. I moved here from Abilene, Texas, the Bible Belt. This is not the Bible Belt, by the way. There's a big difference. I like this better. Here's the problem I had in the Bible Belt. Um, 
When I, when I accepted a call to ministry, I told God, okay, I'll do this thing, but I'm not going to be able to be up on a pedestal. People are going to have to deal with me, warts and all. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend anything. And so that's the deal that we have, and so I don't. But in Abilene, Texas, it's so... Um, uh, Christian culture, for lack of a better phrase... The church kind of controls the way people think because it's so much about orthodoxy instead of orthopraxy that the last thing I wanted people to know about me was that I was a pastor because if they knew I was a pastor, they automatically knew who I voted for, who I didn't vote for, what I drank, what I didn't drink, what music I listened to, what music I didn't listen to, what movies I would watch, what movies I wouldn't watch, and how I was raising my children. Just by me saying I'm a pastor. They thought they knew all of that. And then they also thought they knew, oh, he's about to try to convert me and invite me to come to his church, so I'm going to tell them the church I go to, whether I really go to that church or not, but I'm going to know enough people there that I can act like I do know what's going on at that church. (laughs) Best foot forward. Or walk away, that's the pastor. So I, I wouldn't lie to people, but I tried to make that be the last thing I let them know. Because I I want to know people. And I want to be known by people. Because it's in those relationships that I become a better disciple. Morning Star, we have to be on the go. And as we are going, we have to be open to being changed. Because the Spirit of God is everywhere. You know, a few weeks ago I preached on the baptism of Christ and the Spirit descending like a dove. You know, that word dove could is the exact same word for pigeon. And I, lo- I wish it said the Spirit of God descended like a pigeon. <laughs> because I experience, the, I experience the Holy Spirit more like a pigeon than a dove. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doves are pretty, and they fly around, and we let them go at weddings and funerals, and then they're just like, they're, they're doves. Pigeons are everywhere. And they can't, you can't get rid of them. You can put spikes on signs, and somehow they can land in between the spikes. And you put the spikes on the signs, why? Because they're going to make a mess. That's how the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is everywhere that people are. And the Holy Spirit makes a mess of things that we think we're doing the right way. But for us to experience that, we have to be where people are. We can't just say, come to us. We have to go to them. Because it's in the going that disciples are made. And sometimes we're the disciples that are changed by that interaction. In fact, I would say all the time we're changed through those interactions. I'm going to tell you two stories. One, a friend of mine about 10 years ago, we were in a car together. We were talking. He started acting really nervous, trying to tell me something. I figured out what he was trying to tell me before he was able to get it out. It had something to do with he didn't like girls, he liked boys. And he was trying to not get it out. He was trying to tell me, but he was afraid because to to him... I was a representative of the church. And what he understood, his theology was that God is a judging God. And I knew that I didn't want to judge him. I wanted to hear what he had to say. 
And so I made him tell me. I didn't let him off the hook. And so he said to me, hey, I think I'm gay. And I said, I love you. My life was changed in that interaction. Because me saying those words helped me understand that God does not judge us that way. God comes to seek and save the lost. We are the lost. Almost a year ago today, I made a new friend. His name is Aaron. And um, that friendship changed my life in more ways than, than I have time to tell you about right now. But um, I met him in a CrossFit gym. And you know the joke about CrossFit. Uh, an atheist, a CrossFitter, and a vegan go into a bar. How do we know? Because they told us within two minutes. <laughs> I walked into this CrossFit gym, and he says, hey, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we are the living embodiment of this joke. <laughs> because I had to tell him in Abilene, Texas, where I don't want people to know right away, I said, I'm a, a pastor and a church planter. And he goes, I'm an atheist. Joke complete. I mean, <laughs> good grief. And so... I thought, well, this relationship's starting off with a real bang. And, but I stayed open to him, and he stayed open to me. And I'm telling you, he's the smartest person that I know. And as I got to know him, he told me that he also had been on the path to be a pastor and a church planter and got really burned by the church and left the church and then eventually left his faith behind. And so we would have conversations. He was open to telling me struggles that he was having, and I was telling him struggles that I was having. And we began to learn. And I'm telling you as I stand here, I am a better disciple of Jesus Christ today because of that relationship with him. About, uh, well, I'll tell you exactly when it was. On November 18th of last year, I was at the gym and he was telling me he was having a, uh, a little bit of a hard time. And he said, but hey, man, after talking to you some, I think, I, think I, may, I, may, I may try a church again. I may just go and check it out. He goes, what church should I go to? And I said, not mine. <laughs> and, and the reason why is because I wanted that relationship to stay open. And I was afraid that if I became his pastor, it would change things a little bit. Because, like for us, we can be friends because our relationship has started as me being the pastor of the church. But if we had been friends outside, and then I become the pastor, it changes that original friendship, and I didn't want that to happen. Does that make sense? And so, he goes, well, what church should I go to? He grew up in a really, really fundamentalist church, and um, had been burned there. And so I said, you should go to St. Paul United Methodist Church in Abilene. Felicia Hopkins, if you all know Felicia, she's the pastor there. And I said, they've got a female pastor. She's great. And I was just thinking, like, that will help him see that there's another way of doing church. And so um, he goes, I'm, I'm planning on going this Sunday. And I said, would you like, I'll, I'll go. My church meets in the afternoon. I can meet you there if you want. And he goes, yeah, that might be all right. So I went, and I taught a Sunday school class that morning, and then I started looking for him. Then he stood me up. And uh, I walked out to my truck, and I... 
I brought my phone in. I always I have it there. I take it out of my pocket and silence it. But I used to never bring my phone with me to church because I don't want to be have the distraction. So I grabbed my phone and I looked down and I had this text message. Oh man. Hey man, I don't know why I feel compelled to text you. Uh, it's because he stood me up. That's why. <laughs> But I just wanted to reach out to you this morning and thank you for being a friend to me recently. I'm in a place where I've felt like I'm floundering and haven't liked who it's turned me into. I've become increasingly isolated, bitter, depressed, etc. Having you allow me to speak my mind freely and not feel judged has been a huge source of clarity for me. Just wanted to let you know that you're making a difference in your ministry. Happy Sunday. I'm reading that to you not because I want to brag on myself, but I want to brag on Jesus. Because the thing is, if we can build up the courage to live the way that Jesus told us to live, we will become better disciples. What was going on in that text is I knew my church plant was floundering and wasn't going to make it. And I had had the courage to talk to him about it. He was not judging me. He wasn't, if I swing and miss on a sermon, he didn't care. He literally did not care if I was good at my job. We were just friends. So I was able to tell him the struggles I was having. And he was able to say to me, your ministry matters. We cannot shut people out by judging. We cannot shut people out because we think something about them. We can't shut them out because of whatever label we have chosen to place on them, be that liberal or conservative or Republican or Democrat or gay or straight or divorced or married or rich or poor or whatever it is. We can't do that, church. We are followers of of the God who seeks us out to the point of being born as a child and dying on a cross to show us I am not that God that judges. I am the God that seeks you and loves you. End of story. And there's nothing you can do about it. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. So Morningstar... Let's go. There are going to be days that I say, hey, next Sunday or two Sundays from now or a month from now, or Stuart's going to be telling you, and you're going to go, what in the world are these guys thinking? Go. Do the thing. We're going to have us meeting in places that you've never wanted to meet in. I'm going to encourage you to go do things you never wanted to do. And the reason why I want you to do that is because we have to go where people are. We have to get around that pigeon. Or be the pigeon. That's Stuart's job. <laughs> so, in the name of Jesus Christ... So help us, God. We need your help. May we go. And may we see 
And may we look and may we say, let's go to your place. And in the going, may we be changed and become the disciples that are sent. And may we be lucky and fortunate sometimes to maybe help other people become better disciples. Amen.